3CR would like to acknowledge that we broadcast on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri and Bunwarung people of the Kulin Nation. We pay respects to elders, past, present and emerging, and encourage the continued resilience of First Nations people in the face of ongoing colonisation and settlement. We acknowledge sovereignty was never ceded and a treaty was never signed. CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning. <laughs> that was in unison almost. Happy <laughs> Wednesday. Should have seen the looks in everyone's faces. We were um, shocked. Yeah. Today is the 7th of November um, and it is not raining at the very moment. It was sunny outside when I got here today, a little bit of cloud in the sky. Yeah, mm. slightly cooler than it's been. Mm. Top of 17 is what we're looking yeah. at today. How are you, Judith? I'm well, thank you. Yeah, I went over to you know, Footscray Community Arts Centre on Monday and right. we'll be talking about that later in the show. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Um, yeah. I went, sorry, this is Will, I went to a music festival over the weekend, saw some really great bands. Okay, um, we're not going to play any music for them today, but um, I heard a really great band called Skyscraper Stan in the Commission Flats, and they sort of sing mm. from the experience of people living in the um, Melbourne's inner city, um, but sort of they talked, they had a song about gentrification, and um, they've just got a great beat. So, a, and a great name. I yeah, yeah, name. Skyscraper Stan yeah, in the Commission Flats. True. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. I'm, um, yeah. My weekend was pretty uh, uneventful. I was uh, away, yeah. but yep. now I'm back, and, yep. um, and then uh, we've got a weekend in three days. It's just know. crazy. That's but, right. Dean, yeah. out of communication for the weekend, hey? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's weird. It's not really that far. It's 45 minutes away, but uh. once you get up to the hills of King Lake, mm. you have to stand in a specific spot. Mm. Um, but, yeah. Maybe it's good now. for your soul not to yeah, be I think so. yeah. close to yeah. all of those lines flying through the sky. How are you, Aiden? I'm doing all right. I've I've not really had that much of a busy week or anything like that. It's been pretty. We're in those weird weeks between like school holidays and then the end of the year. Tell you what we are in. Uh, Sorry to interrupt. No, no, no. As an ex-year twelve student, we are in the middle of exam period. Oh, (laughs) so my heart my heart goes out to any year (laughs) twelves. Yeah, shout out to them. No, definitely. If you're doing your exams right now, stay strong. Take a moment every now and then just to take a have a cup of tea, (laughs) take a rest. Don't think about things for a little while because you need to relax your brain, don't you? You do you need to turn it off for a bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And if you've got any uh, year 12, just, you know, walk quietly around them. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and you mentioned we're in the middle of a really weird period. Uh, I think year 12 students won't be noticing this, but no. the premature Christmas um, decorating oh, oh, period. Sorry. We're in the middle. Oh, Merry oh. Christmas, everyone. Yeah. Oh. Hey, it's already Christmas, isn't yeah. it? Well, <laughs> it's just like you walk around and it's, all, it's just like, are you kidding me? Yeah. It was yeah. started last week. It's a bit like Easter will start mm. on Boxing Day. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's also my 50th birthday today. So yeah, I just yeah. want to put oh. that out there. <laughs> <laughs> because we're now, yeah, we're now mashing all time together. Yeah. All time and space yeah. into yeah. one point. Um, I'm going quickly, Will. Yes, it has. Oh, and it hasn't been kind. You're looking amazing. Oh, guys. Um, we've got a big show today, haven't we? We've got a massive show. Yeah, what are we starting with, Judith? 
Well, we're going to start off with going to, as I said, Footscray Community Arts Centre. But even before that, I think we've got alternative news, right? That's true. That's yeah, true. let's go look at the uh, U.S. midterm elections. Say, yeah, lots of interesting things happening there. It's happening right now. <laughs> right yep. now, as, yeah. we, as we well, speak. The, the polls are yep. just closing. Well, it depends yep. which part of the country you're in. Ah. But, uh, yeah, so some interesting things yep. to report from there. Later, uh, after round eight, we'll be speaking to Tim Jones, Dr. Tim Jones from Latrobe, and he's going to be looking at the anniversary of the marriage equality postal vote. Postal vote. Mm. Mm. Yeah, mm. so that will be good. After that, we'll have a super quick check-in with Marceline Demenzi from the Public Housing and Defence Network. They're having a rally this Friday. We're going to find out why. Great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, finishing up, we're going to talk to uh, Bridget from Pride and Protest, which is a group up in Sydney. That's kind of following in with you, Judith, with the postal vote. Uh, but they'll be talking more so about the um, Religious Freedoms Act review and yes. what it means for schools in New South Wales. Interesting. So, and we have some mm. other religious freedom. We do. Yeah, we're yeah. going to be looking back at a really great interview that In Your Face did um, last Friday with uh, Rodney Croom, who's a veteran oh, LGBTI plus um, <laughs> activist, um, was really... Yeah. Uh, strongly involved with the um, the marriage equality campaign up until when um, they decided to, to um, Australian marriage equality decided to engage with the postal vote. He decided not to. Uh, oh. So that was in 2016 that he left the campaign, and um, we're going to be looking back at that. We're, we're reaching a year since the postal vote, if you can... Yeah. Postal yeah. survey, sorry. And, that, and that's what... Well, that's what Tim's going to be saying. Yeah, and so, um, yeah. so if that's something that you, um, you don't want to be... Um, listening to because I understand um, it was a very traumatic period for a lot of people Mm. in the LGBTQI plus community. Um, That's going to be starting at 7.35 and we'll finish up talking about the postal vote around 8.10. 8.10, yeah. So, yeah. So, just keeping an eye out for that. Otherwise, um, I think we'll get on to alternative news and we'll be back just after this. Some folks know about it, some don't. Some will learn to shout it, some won't. But sooner or later, baby, here's a ditty. And that was the beautiful Nitty Gritty by Shirley Ellis, our beloved theme tune of Alternative News. And it is. And uh, I guess the news I've been looking at and following uh, is what's been going on in the midterm elections. And I have to say, I don't usually follow the midterms. And also the Americans don't really turn out for them. Really? But this this year is different. Mm. Hmm. So a lot of people saying that what's different um, is that a lot of people saying what's different is that um, this has been openly branded by both sides of politics, including Trump himself, as a referendum on his presidency, which um, seems... A yeah, little well, different. I mean, some accurate. people are <laughs> accurate, in, in but some like ways, but then step. other people are skeptical. But mm. it's certainly different from other midterms because what, from what I've been reading, mm. people compare this midterm with the last midterm rather than the presidential election because lots of people come out for the presidential election, mm. usually mm. not so much for the midterms. One thing that is a trend, though, is the, the sitting president the pres- usually gets a lower rating in the first midterm election, oh. yeah, including. Obama. It's you know if you look at the little graph, it just mm-hmm. goes in. But this year, it's different. And uh, I've you know been reading a number of different articles, but I've also called a couple of colleagues in the states. One who lives in North Carolina, one in Pittsburgh, where you know that shooting at the synagogue happened. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah the Tree of Life synagogue. Eleven that's people right. were killed by a far right wing white supremacist. Um, that's right. Uh, 
domestic terrorist there's no other way not long ago at all no, no. So, so I've gotten some you know some of their thoughts on things as well but one of the things that has been really significant is there's been a huge turnout for mm. early voting mm. and that's uh, you know that's unusual compared to the last midterms and the youth vote is up and like they're talking about 300% 400% and one of the reasons behind that is um, do you remember the Parkland shootings in Florida mm. yeah the high school students yeah. Yeah? yeah and how they got out well they've really gotten out in this campaign as well and they're encouraging young people uh, either to vote if they're old enough to vote but okay. if not just encouraging people yeah, to, to get, get out, out to vote so that's been really important mm. and uh, also, the African-American, Hispanic early voting is up, and mm. those are groups that usually vote Democrat. Yeah. So that's interesting. And women, more mm. women candidates than ever in the U.S., uh, in, including government. Because looking at it, I mean, what's happening is the House of Representatives, the whole House of Representatives, the lower, what we would call the lower house, is they serve two-year terms, so that whole house is up for grabs. And then the senators have six-year terms, so about a third of the Senate is being voted on. So what people are predicting, the people are predicting it's unlikely, that if Republicans control it, it's unlikely that that will change. But the House of Representatives, there's a, a real possibility. But there's some tricky stuff that does go on mm-hmm. in these elections. And uh, one of them is something that they call voter suppression. Yes, okay. we're hearing about this a lot in yeah. um, in Florida and Georgia, um, particularly because there's a um, there's a gu- gubernatorial race. So the the governor over there is our equivalent of the premier. Yes, and that's right. um, it's the uh, the the race in Georgia that I've been hearing most about. Yes, um, between uh, oh gosh, I forgot no, the, name <laughs> the name of the candidates, but the um, but the incumbent um, Stacey Adams. Stacey Adams uh, is not the, the incumbent. Yeah, no, 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 no. She's the challenger from that's the Democratic right. Party. She'd be the first. Um, Black female governor of Georgia, if she were to get mm-hmm. in, um, which is very exciting. Um, but the the incumbent, um, a gentleman whose name doesn't bear remembering, <laughs> um, <laughs> has been engaged in voter suppression. Um, he uh, is interested in keeping um, felons who have served their terms and also felons who are currently serving from voting, um, and that's disproportionately black, in, especially in that state, but across the United States. So it's um. It's uh, just something... Yes, and, and the way they do that is, is kind of interesting, too. So mm. they prevent people from uh, registering to vote, for mm. example. So if you've got, like, a semicolon in the wrong place, it's been, you know, weird stuff. But it's, that's been declared illegal. Mm. But quite a number of people have already been disqualified from voting, and it's too late to change that coming up to the election. Yeah. Mm. That's one of the things they do. Reduce the number of voting booths, even in the pre-vote mm. as well, and particularly... Off- targeting one of my colleague in North Carolina said with absolute precision, mm-hmm. you know, to try and prevent those communities where there are black voters, African-American voters, prevent them from voting. There are reports of waits um, in line of up to three hours because yes. of a lack of voting mm-hmm. equipment. Yep. Uh, it was um, in... In Virginia, I believe there, there's a. Uh, oh, sorry, no, 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 no. It's, um, in in Arizona, sorry, Arizona, that there is yeah. a voting a voting booth um, that was supposed to be open, um, but the building was foreclosed, yes, so they I couldn't saw, get into I the get the into more the weird booth. Stories that's come out, yeah. Um, just <laughs> happens to be in a very heavily Afri- <laughs> so not African American, Hispanic, Hispanic American district. Um, so yeah, it's just um, 
a little troubling. But I think it's instructive to Australia that um, that there is such a big wave of LGBTI candidates and women candidates, mm-hmm. and um, and we may be paying to, um, to some of our listeners um, undue attention to the United States political system because we're not the United States. Mm. But it does sort of make me think about this article that's on the front page of The Age, Australia, Indonesia, set to ink a trade deal. And it talks about some sort of trade deal going through ASEAN, the uh, yes. Association of Southeast yes. Asian Nations. Yeah. Um, um, and something that sort of figures into our relationship with Indonesia is um, our current Prime Minister's um, sort of thought bubble that we might move our embassy in yes, Israel indeed. to Jerusalem. Mm. Yes. And um, then, then following the United States um example and it's just um it's it just goes to show that the the United States um government is kind of our government but we don't get to vote. Yeah, I'm so, uh, yeah, so it's kind of worth was it the fifty first mm. state here or the fifty yeah, second yeah, we, we're following them on that and we're following know, them on all, I know into for all sure. sorts of foreign In fact wars, you're right, so. you know, there are a lot of uh, resonances there. Yeah, but I think yeah. you know, you mentioned the diverse candidates and um there are particularly four that the Guardian identified that uh, to watch and there are four women. Stacey Abrams being one in Georgia, who you mentioned. And um uh, also, Christine Holquist from Vermont, which is almost Canada, you know. Yeah, they're just across, so far they're enough, just yeah. <laughs> across the border. Anyway, she could be the first transgender governor of a state in the U.S. And then, of course, um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who could be the youngest woman elected. Mm-hmm. And uh, Alan Ayanna Presley, the first black woman to represent Massachusetts. So they're all kinds of firsts. And also uh, Muslim women, two Muslim women candidates. So... Even though the United States is, as you say, a long way away, mm. uh, some of the candidates that, that are coming up and the people that are coming forward, because politics is a, a tough business, yeah. you know, and here as well. And so it's good to see people empowered and encouraged. Mm. And certainly my colleague from North Carolina said, you know, that women have looked at what Trump has done mm. and they're going to, you know, they know it's nasty, but they're going to stand up. Mm. And my colleague from Pittsburgh said, you know, and both really, they're cautious about what the results will be. And in particular, you know, the country is still divided. And both people thought that the Trump supporters are still the Trump supporters. You know, the people. Well, that and it's funny. Uh, it's interesting that you will mention the referendum. So what it really might come down to is all of these voters going out because as recently as October, there was a 49 year low in unemployment rates in the US. Yes. So it seems like. Yeah. Trump has delivered because yeah. people are now, you know, their jobs have increased, the yeah. unemployment's down to 3.7%. Mm. So the, it, be, it becomes then, you know, that referendum issue where a lot of people who weren't supporting Trump are probably going to go, well, we're not going to give him that vote because he'll, he'll surely lose. But the ones that are supporting Trump are the ones that are actually going out and saying, hey, we've got an unemployment rate that's pretty low. Yeah. This guy is good. And yeah. it's like, well, you know, it's sort yeah. of, it could happen to anybody, really. Well, my, my, my colleague from Pittsburgh said, you know, Pitt, uh, Pittsburgh is a pretty um, Democrat mm-hmm. area, but they went up to a wedding just on the weekend, and they were the only Democrat in the, <laughs> in the, yeah. in the whole group, which is, a, <laughs> you know, a, a town not too far from Pittsburgh. So, yeah, yeah it's going to be, I think it's going to be very interesting to watch, and particularly mm. the women. Amazing. Definitely. Um, cool yeah. new candidates. Um, the last thing I'd like to wrap up with alternative news is the fact that um, Australian airlines seem to be in quite a bit of trouble at the moment. So mm. you might have been reading back, um, but the ABC got a little bit outraged at Virgin Australian Airlines, who recently said that they would be prioritising veterans 
in seating arrangements and, you know, to get on the, f- the, the plane first rather than normal Australians to kind of pay homage and respect to them. And this was, of course, slammed as embarrassing and tokenistic and all that. But I think, uh, Dean, we were having a bit of a laugh because Qantas, what was Qantas's reply? Well, I mean, they were just saying everybody should be treated as equal. Yeah. yeah. You pay your, your flight, you should be treated as equal. Yeah. But it comes back to what we were just saying about that US, the 51st state. That is a US-style thing where every airline yes. in the US honours their, their veterans, veterans by letting them go on the mm. flight. And I do wonder if Qantas is treating the refugees they're deporting equally. Uh-huh. Yeah, no. exactly. No, they, get, they, get, they get front posse. I think the fact that we, um, we had someone on from uh, Whistleblowers Activist Citizens Alliance a few weeks ago telling us how Qantas is, you know, deporting, uh, deporting um, refugees at the moment and d- making them disappear effectively. So the, the fact that these <laughs> airlines are coming out with such high and mighty morals, I think, uh, means Australia's really going to take a little bit of a view at its aeroplane industry, which is a weird one. But yes. uh, there you go. There's a piece of alternative news for you. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah it's, it's interesting because we all know that mm. it's not an easy job to be in the army, to, uh, to mm. be a veteran, to serve your country. Yeah. Um, there are other ways that they can be acknowledged and actually mm. maybe Virgin could be able to help the families of those veterans. Yes. Put or, your money, put yeah. your money there. You yeah. know, I mean, you know really. yeah, help help people yeah. who are coming back with in a mental health capacity exactly. instead of saying, well, Post traumatic hey, stress. If you want to go to Queensland, we'll make sure you get on the plane first. First, yeah, exactly. So I think you're still you know, sitting at the back, yeah. but you get on the plane first. So there you go. Another way we're following the US. Um, well, that's been a very American saturated thing. We'll come back after a few uh, community service announcements into our first segment. <laughs> We'll be broadcasting live from the steps of the Victorian Parliament House in support of Defend and Extend Public Housing's 10-day vigil. Public housing, everybody's business. Join the anarchist world this week at Parliament House, 10am to 11am, on two Wednesdays, the 14th and 21st of November. And yes, there is more. Also join Talk Back With Attitude at Parliament House, 10 to 11am, Thursday the 15th and the 22nd of November. Make public housing a significant issue for the forthcoming state election. Join us for these live broadcasts on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House. And uh, as, you, as you said, Dane, earlier, I mean, uh, the end of the year is rolling around. We, maybe we don't need to talk about Christmas quite yet, but <laughs> <laughs> it is the end of the year. And uh, as end of the year celebrations go, Footscray Community Arts Centres are impressive, always. And this weekend, they've got Tilda, Melbourne Trans and Gender Diverse Film Festival. And um, Tuesday, Brecky covered that yesterday. And next week... On November 15th, they're opening two exhibitions. So one is You've Been Hacked, 25 Years of Rockin', a retrospective of their resident band, the Hackets, and um, the Connected Vision collaborate, collection, rather, which is a, a visual journey through the eyes of the art life artists. So on Monday, I took the train to Footscray and uh, wanted because I wanted to find out more. And Amy McMurtry, is, who's the creative producer of the Art Life program, which is run at the centre with artists uh, with perceived uh, disabilities. I caught up with her and two of the artists also on the balcony of Henderson House building there. 
So I started by asking Amy what the Art Life program actually does. Predominantly a workshop-based program. So we run visual arts workshops, dance workshops, sound art, photography. We have such a diversity of artists here, which really um, requires, I think, the program to also be that diverse. A lot of really talented artists here. And uh, there's an exhibition coming up, the Art Life Extravaganza. How many artists are involved? Uh, There'll be 45, including the Hackett. So the Hackett's are a band who are born out of art life. They're, they're a bit independent of art life, but they're FCAC's residence band. Um, but there are 45 in total art, um, artists involved. And what kind of media do they work in? Everything from paint to texture. Texture's a really big one at the moment. People are really taking off with texture. Inks. There'll be two exhibitions open here. So the Connected Vision Collection, and that's the Art Life end-of-year exhibition, which is always part of the big end-of-year finale here at Footscray Arts. And then the Hackett's will have their 25-year celebratory exhibition, You've Been Hacked, 25 Years of Rockin'. And they'll be performing on the balcony here at this amazing building. What's the story of this building, do you know? The building, as I understand it, used to be, um, at least downstairs here from the balcony, was a pig abattoir where they killed pigs and the blood used to like wash off down into the river quite a brutal history and actually it's interesting because actually Footscray Arts Centre was um, developed by unionists were interested in bringing music and arts to their um, workers who they were concerned were overcome with death and all of the kind of horrors of that and so they really wanted to create space for life and joy. The fact that the basement was an abattoir just doesn't seem to fit in the balcony is lovely. The balcony is going to be refurbished soon so the Hackett's show is quite unique in that it'll be the last time that there's a, anything on this particular balcony so pretty exciting. People who know Footscray Community Arts will know that the balcony looks out across the Melbourne skyline and across the river and also a whole lot of brightly coloured containers in front of the skyline and then closer to the centre, palm trees. So it's a, a kind of mixed media itself. Absolutely, eclectic kind of space. One of the artists who'll be showing his work in the Art Life exhibition is Harry Liston. I asked him about the materials he uses. Pencils, textures, sometimes rollers. I just make things up and out of my head. I've been here like, like seven years. The first I started at uh, 2012. I started doing the work experience when I was younger. What are some of the ideas that you use in your art? Uh, I do like graffiti. The, sometimes I do, but I'm not often. I still do graffiti as I was younger. I'm still, I still don't want them. I'm still making shapes. And what's the best part of being an artist for you? Well, it's a really hard question, though, but, like, I, I, I love being uh, around for this great many arts center because I love, I love my teachers. Are you inspired by other artists who come to Footscray Community Arts Center? My favorite artist, his name is Stephen Tran. And what kind of art does he make? Uh, he does shapes and the r- trays and with those rulers and pencils. So, Harry, are you actually performing in a dance piece for the uh, opening of the exhibition? Yes, I am, the uh, end of the year. Will you be wearing a costume? Yes, put my black shirt on and the black pants and the black everything. The best colour? The My favourite colour is black and I wear black all the time. Like Everybody else keeps on saying, like, Harry, why are you wearing black? 
That's going to smell like fire of a cow. Well, lots of people I know would agree with Harry that black is just the best color. I am really nervous about this whole flight service. It's tying my intestines into nuts. I'm all so excited. To mention delighted that the idea of America is cool. Mexico, LA, I'm Mexico, LA, one of the songs the Hackett's will be performing on November 15th, the opening night of their exhibition, You've Been Hacked. Peter Tolhurst plays acoustic guitar and sings with the group that started 25 years ago. The band is settled now with our keyboardist, guitarist, bass player. So we've had we've had quite a few lineups over the years. When did you join? About the year 2000, 1999-ish. A long time in the life of a band. What have been the high points of your involvement? I mean, you've stayed, so obviously there's lots of good things. But are there some high points for you? Yeah, we've performed at places that I never thought imaginable. We performed at the 13th World Congress of Inclusion at the tra- old, old Trade Centre. We've performed at Mooney Valley Racecourse, Kuyong Tennis Courts, different festivals around the Western area. And, and are you mainly a Western area band? Is that where your roots are? Yeah, but we do travel. We do travel. And we also went just after the bushfires, up to a little country town called Yay, support them at their autumn festival. Wonderful, that sounds amazing. We've really got some good support. Three of our members are actually tutors here. I understand you have a combination of covers, like songs you cover, and also some of your own original material, is that right? Yes, years ago we sang a lot of cover songs. Now we've done a lot of originals. Over 30 originals. That's a lot. That's impressive. And you said uh, earlier that you are a songwriter. Yes, yes, I am a songwriter. And Stuart and Victoria are also songwriters in the band as well. And what are some of the themes in your songs? Well, I write about love. And then Stuart, he, he writes about blues themes, like thunderstorm blues. And, yeah, and, and Victoria, well, she's punchy little... Rock Chick, well, that's actually one of our songs. She's really, really good and punchy and feisty. And, and what's the title of one of your songs? Or, I mean, do you have a favourite? The first song I wrote, Caged Bird, is my favourite. Always enjoy performing it, but I'm proud of it. There's a few other songs that I'm nearly just as proud of, but, yeah, Caged Bird is the, the baby and, yeah. And what's the theme of Caged Bird? Trying to be... Trying to trying to be free when when people always tell you no, that's the main theme. And there's an exhibition on here. Tell me about the exhibition. Because the band has turned 25, Footscray Community Arts Centre decided to um, have a nice function where we could get ex-members of the band and the public all together. It's free. We'll be in the um, Gabrielle Gallery. Um, answering questions, and for the last 40 minutes we'll, we'll probably be out here on the beautiful balcony performing our greatest songs. Our original keyboard player is going to 
make an appearance for one or two numbers. That's really exciting. That's great. And have you seen what's in the exhibition? Not yet. We've donated some photos and of performances during the years. and I've heard it's about over 500 of them, which will be displayed here. Opening night is the 15th, and then it runs until the 8th of December. So there's a lot of time, a lot of chance for people to come and, and have a look, be amazed, because this band is showing that people with disabilities can do things and, then, and they can achieve what they want and what they want to get out of life. And those are inspiring words from Peter Tallhurst. And the Hackets are going on tour, so check out their schedule at the Footscray Community Centre website. They're going to be in Adelaide in March next year, and that's the Adelaide Festival, so looks like they could be performing there as well. And a big thank you to Harry for coming on the show and to Amy McMurtry for speaking with Wednesday Breakfast. And now we're going to hear the song that Peter Tallhurst wrote and performed, um, and it's performed by the Hackets and uh, Caged Bird. And that was Cage Bird by the Hackets. And they'll be performing on November 15th at Footscray Community Arts Centre. It's all free. You rock up around 6 o'clock, November the 15th. Henderson House. And we'll be back after this. Are you 18 years and over? Have you been stopped by a Victorian police officer or protective service officer in the last 10 years? Would you like to contribute to research that aims to inform law reform and litigation strategies to prevent over-policing? Go to policestopsurvey.online for more information and to take part. That's policestopsurvey.online, a 3CR supporter. On the line we have veteran... LGBTIQ activist Rodney Croom to talk about the religious freedom debate in Australia and the leaked Ruddick report. Welcome, Rodney. Hi, James. Thanks for having me on. It's a great pleasure. Uh, first of all, have you seen the leaked Ruddick report? Um, I've seen uh, I've seen parts of the report mm. that have been leaked, um, and the recommendations that were made, particularly in regards to faith-based schools. Um, and I was quite disappointed that the authors of the report didn't recommend um, prohibiting discrimination against students and teachers in faith-based organisations. My disappointment, of course, is because I live in a state where that kind of discrimination has been prohibited for 20 years. Uh, LGBTI teachers and students in faith-based schools um, and hospitals and any faith-based organisation already have those protections. And it's just always disappointing for me to see um, federal or national reports or reports in other states falling below that standard. Now, the authors of the report, I think, they, I think they were do, they think they were doing a good job because they recommended slightly tightening up the exemptions a, a little bit, um, uh, making it necessary for the schools, for instance, to tell prospective parents that they have these exemptions and that, that they are able to discriminate. And I think they saw that as a step forward. But um, I think if you if you look at the debate that's happened since the report was leaked, a majority of Australians just have moved way beyond that. They do not think this kind of discrimination is right, either against students or teachers. They really want it to come to an end. And I think that um, wave of public indignation 
uh, has been what's resulted in the, in the federal government actually saying, yeah, well, actually, we'll try and do something about it. What has the Prime Minister ruled in and out regarding the Ruddock report? Because he seems to be flip-flopping a little bit post-Wentworth uh, by-election. Yes, well, you're right. Before the Wentworth by-election, uh, the government was very keen to get headlines <laughs> that said that it would stop gay students being, um, being expelled from faith-based schools. Uh, and, that, and that looked great because no one wants that. Not even the schools want that. Um, so even the schools were saying, oh, we really don't want that exemption. We don't want to be kicking gay kids out of the classroom. Um, but since the Wentworth election and since uh, the sort of the political imperative there have, has disappeared, um, the desire for the government to win votes in that fairly socially progressive seat, we've seen details of the government's legislation um, and it's not nearly as good as those headlines would suggest. Um, uh, first of all, it's limited to students. It's not about teachers as well. Um, and uh, while the government would prohibit discrimination on the grounds of sexual orientation or gender identity, uh, it's saying that the school, the school should still be able to discriminate uh, on the grounds of their ethos and their religious susceptibilities and their religious values. And, um, and the list goes on. Uh, to such an extent where you really wonder, well, it feels like you're giving with one hand and taking with the other because, of course, it would be quite easy for the for a school to say, well, it's not because you're gay, it's just because, um, you know, the fact that you want to take your part, same-sex partner to the school social or formal or whatever um, is against the Bible. Or, or, you know, it's not that you're trans, it's just that you want to wear the clothes of the other sex. <laughs> so there's too much wiggle room here when it comes to... to, to um, continued discrimination and, and I think more and more people are seeing this, certainly LGBTI groups are and um, we really need to be saying to the government and to the Labor Party and to the crossbench in the mm. Senate um, this doesn't go far enough, these students uh, need stronger protections and really the staff need protections too because what's the point of saying to a student well we're not going to discriminate against you because you're gay but we've just thrown your teacher out because she is um, what kind of message does that send? Rodney, so despite the backlash, the government still committed to legislating in this area? Um, the federal government said it will move forward with its bill, uh, despite the, the growing concerns, but um, I'm hopeful that the concerns will, will grow loud enough that it will think twice, and if it doesn't think twice, then at least uh, Labor will, and the crossbench will attempt to amend the bill in the Senate. What um, um, commitments has seen, the community been given from the crossbenchers in the Senate and in the House of Reps regarding uh, supporting the LGBTI community in relation to this bill? I know, for instance, Karen Phelps has been very strident in her opposition. Yeah, well, Karen's pretty strong um, uh, on this issue because she, uh, you know, as a, as a former president of the AMA, she's aware of the you know the health impacts of this kind of discrimination and. Uh, she's been an advocate against similar exemptions for faith-based schools in New South Wales. Um, and I think my, you know, my member, uh, federal member Andrew Wilkie, has been a strong supporter of LGBTI human rights, as has obviously Adam Bant. So uh, I think those crossbenchers will, um, will get, will get this. Um, because you'd be, thinking, on, you'd be thinking, Rodney, that possibly this wouldn't even pass the House of Reps, the way the numbers are stacked up. Uh, and possibly not. Possibly not. And that's why Labor's stance on this is so important. Mm, absolutely. Um, and the jitters, the, the jitters here are that uh, uh, we've had 
some members of the Catholic right in the Labor Party, like uh, Senator Zinta Collins, stand up and say that faith-based schools should have uh, a positive right to be able to discriminate on the grounds of religious ethos. Um, and not only does that sort of, as I said before, uh, give with one hand and take, or take, give with one hand and take with the other, but in my state, for instance, where I mentioned before that these exemptions don't don't exist, it would actually roll back the protections that people already have. Mm. Uh, because a positive right in federal law would be inconsistent with the uh, protections in the State Act and override the State Act. So uh, that, to me, is abhorrent that in an attempt to try and protect kids in faith schools, we actually, uh, in some states, we actually take away their protection in others. Mm. Um, uh, federal legislation needs to rise to the highest standard rather than sink down to the lowest common denominator. Um, and that's the message we need beginning across to later. Now, I think... There are already groups mobilising to do that. I know Rainbow Families in Victoria have been very active. They've been in Canberra already uh, lobbying Labor politicians on this point, as has um, the Human Rights Law Centre, uh, the Equality Campaign. Um, again, here in Tassie, I know I've been out meeting with all of our federal Labor members to reinforce to them that, that um, the importance of maintaining a high standard. Uh, and it's great to see that in the ACT the... Uh, government there uh, has has introduced uh, legislation to actually get rid of the exemptions they have to bring their laws up to a higher standard, uh, like the same standard as Tasmania. So that, again, sends a message to federal Labor, because uh, that's a Labor government in, in the ACT, sends a message to federal the federal Labor that it needs to maintain a high standard on this, um, that it's not... Uh, it's not going to help anyone if they pass the bare minimum reform that the government's talking about, it might actually make things worse. And that was long-time LGBTQ plus activist Rodney Croom speaking to James from In Your Face, which you can listen to every Friday afternoon from 4pm. We'll hear more of that interview in a moment. They were speaking then about the leaked Ruddick, Ruddick report on religious freedom and the impact it'll have on everyone else. Uh, for now, though, we're going to have a song called What's the Deal with David uh, by the band OPEP. And I think this is a subtle reference to the one and only David Bowie. You're listening to 3CR. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio. Um, we're going to jump back into the interview that James from In Your Face did with Rodney Croom, who's a longtime LGBTQ plus activist. Um, they were speaking earlier about the leaked Ruddock report into so-called religious freedom, and now they're speaking about the same-sex marriage survey one year on. Um, th- if uh, this segment causes any concerns or questions for you, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or QLife, the queer community helpline, on 1800 184 527. They're open from 3 p.m. to midnight, seven days a week. Um, and let's listen, to the, let's listen in. Rodney, is there anything positive in the Ruddick report for the LGBTI community? And if so, what is it? Um, Like I said, the authors of the report, Mm. I think, are doing us a favour by trying to tighten up the exemptions a bit. But I don't think they've really grasped that public opinion post the postal survey last year, after... Now, one year on from marriage equality, but Australians have really moved on from this and they just, there is very limited tolerance for, um, 
legally allowed discrimination, particularly if it's in the name of religion. Which is amazing, um, isn't it, considering only 13 electorates voted against uh, marriage equality. It's incredible they haven't got the message. Yes, yes, I think in their minds that that decision, the yes vote, was limited to just the issue of marriage. But I don't think they've really grasped that... Uh, after 14 years of debating that issue of marriage equality, not just 14 weeks, but 14 years, um, Australians have moved on to a position where no discrimination, no legally allowed discrimination against LGBTI people is acceptable anymore, including by faith-based organisations. So you have um, the, uh, the right wing, if you like, of the Liberal Party who are banging on about religious freedom um, importing a narrative about that from the United States, from the Republican Party there, uh, which is all about rolling back existing protections against LGBTI people in the name of so-called religious freedom. I don't think that's real religious freedom. Real religious freedom is is where um, people don't face disadvantage or discrimination because of their religion. Here we're talking about uh, people being discriminated against in the name of religion. That's not religious freedom, that's religious dominance, religious privilege. So we had the right wing of the Liberal Party banging on about that and the overwhelming majority of Australians saying, no, absolutely not, we will not countenance that. We've moved on from that. Every single opinion poll, no matter who does it, on these issues of the existing exemptions being got rid of, as we started to talk, as we were talking about before, or, or new provisions put in place that allow discrimination in the name of religious freedom, Australians just don't buy it. It's like 70 to 80 percent opposition. Ronnie, what are moderates within the coalition telling you about the Ruddock report? Can we expect civil war to break out within the coalition once the Victorian state election is done and dusted? Um, I, uh, my, my understanding of the situation in the coalition is that there are quite deep divisions over this issue. There are moderates who understand, like I said before, that that religious freedom, as valuable as it is, um, shouldn't come at the cost of discrimination protections. Uh, but uh, they're keeping a lid on those divisions at the moment. Um, I think it's more about it's partly about the Victorian election, but partly also about giving the new prime minister uh, a bit of a what's the term they use? Clean Pretty air, a, like clean air. Yeah, yeah, a bit of space to establish himself uh, without the party falling apart. <laughs> So um, I'm not sure what the result of that would be. I'm not sure that there are moderates who are willing to stand up at this stage, certainly not on the issue of teachers, um, possibly on the issues of trying to provide stronger protections for kids in religious schools, but I don't think teachers. I hope I'm wrong, but um, really uh, at the moment, the desire to maintain the united front seems to be the top priority. Rodney, it's been a year since the postal survey result was announced. Uh, how do you look back on the campaign? What, what are your thoughts on the campaign? What issues come up for you? Well, James, I was... You were at the centre of it. ...pretty heavily involved, as you know. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so I have a lot... There's, there's a lot of reflections. Mm. I mean, obviously I've been to some beautiful weddings this year that would not have occurred had that reform not happened. Um and um, so I feel so privileged on each occasion to be asked to those weddings um, and to myself begin to plan my own wedding for next year. Um, and like I said, I can see that as a result of all these debates over many years, Australia has fundamentally changed for the better. 
Um, and that's, in the end, what matters most. Um, but uh, I still cannot... I cannot leave behind, and I will never leave behind, I think, my reservations about how we got there in the end. Um, I, I don't believe that the ends justified the means, the means being the postal survey. Um, I still come across people, particularly young trans people, but others as well, who were deeply scarred by that and may never recover. Um, and I still come across examples of, you know, I still encounter people who lost loved ones because they killed themselves. I mean, and that's a fact. And so I, I will never reconcile myself to that. Um, and I don't think I will ever reconcile myself either to what I believe was probably the wrong approach uh, um, on behalf of sort of the Yes campaign uh, in terms of trying to make marriage equality a small target by, and not directly addressing the fear campaign from the, from the no side. Um, there were so much of that fear mongering was left uh, left out there and not responded to, and so many LGBTI people, particularly the vulnerable ones, felt undefended and, to use their phrase, thrown under the bus. Mm. I think it would have been possible for I know it was possible for the equality campaign and the S campaign to directly address, directly engage with the with those with those negative narratives about LGBTI people. Uh, and to turn them around into um, into um, a positive for us that would have actually built the equality narrative and built the yes vote. So I think there was a deep and grave strategic error that was made. And I'm happy to say to you now that was that was one of the reasons that I left um, in 2016 because I could see that was the direction that was taking. And I... I've devoted my whole career doing this stuff, this 30 years this year, to always, always tackling prejudice when it appears. Never angrily, never, um, never negatively. Um, I believe firmly in always having a positive response to prejudice, but you must respond. You cannot let it go. The fact that it was let go during that period, I think, um, has resulted, like I said before, in a lot of harm, unnecessary harm that was done to vulnerable LGBTI people and their friends and family. It also had left us uh, no... F left us in the midst of these debates about safe schools and uh, religious freedom uh, and transgender rights. Um, I think we would be a lot further down the track on those three if we'd dealt with them a year, two years or even three years ago, if we'd made the decision as a community to stand up to them. In Tasmania... Uh, when the postal survey was on, we did stand up to them. We actually had social media material out there and mainstream media material saying, you know, that's wrong and this is why it's wrong and this is in fact what the situation is. And reminding people that the sky didn't fall in when we got decriminalisation of homosexuality uh, 20 years ago, which many people still remember, and it won't fall in now. And that didn't hurt the campaign. In fact, Tasmania scored the highest death vote of any state after Victoria. So responding to hate uh, is possible. Responding to hate in a way that actually builds the quality narrative is possible. It's happened. We've seen it before. I just feel so sad that we didn't do that nationally last year. 
Rodney Krim, thank you so much for talking to us today on 3CR. It's always wonderful to hear your voice on the airwaves and thank you so much for all your fantastic work over the last 30 years supporting the community and no doubt you'll be doing it for at least another 30 more. <laughs> well, I hope so, James. <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see about that, but I appreciate you having me on. No worries. Until next time. You are listening to 3CR Community Radio. That was James from In Your Face speaking to Rodney Kroom, who is a veteran LGBTQ plus activist. Um, and they were looking back at the, uh, looking at the one year anniversary of the same sex marriage survey. Um, if this segment, like I said earlier, has caused any concerns or questions for you, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or QLife, the queer community helpline on 1800 184 527. They are open from 3 p.m. to midnight, seven days a week. Um, and please reach out to your friends and family as well. Yeah, and we'll be back. We're just going to play some community service announcements, and then we'll be back with Tim at 8. Look forward to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you rehabilitate someone? They just put you in a cell and tell you this is how long you're going to do, and it's meant to rehabilitate you, you know? Rehabilitation starts when you get out. That's mm. when your life begins again, doesn't it? In here, yeah. your life's on hold. Come along to the 2018 Beyond the Bars CD launch. Thursday, 1st of November, 6.30pm, upstairs at Mesa, Fitzroy Stars Gym on Gertrude Street. There'll be guests, panel discussion, music, food and drink, and of course, free copies of the 2018 Beyond the Bars double CD. The venue is accessible and all are welcome. Thursday, the 1st of November, 6.30 to 8.30, upstairs at Mesa. See you there. Jail's just a waste of life. So, to all the young ones out there, if you're thinking of it just to be cool, you know, tough, it's the total opposite. You're an idiot, you know? In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. 3CR's Radical Radio book is now on sale for just $30. You can get your copy of 3CR's book at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Get a piece of your own history on sale for just $30. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. Hi, I'm Rod Quantock and you're listening to Fill in the Dots, you know who you're listening to. Why do I have to tell you who you're listening to? You know who you're listening to. You're listening to, yes, Fill in the Dots.
3CR Community Radio. You got it right. You've won a giraffe. Uh, we're at 855am. We're on digital radio and streaming at 3cr.org.au. 3CR has been making trouble since 1976, and occasionally I've been part of the trouble that's been made. It's a vital part of our uh, media landscape, and I'd encourage you to get a hacksaw, an oxyacetylene torch, and go up to the Dandenongs and, and bring down all those broadcast towers that aren't 3CR's towers, and let's make 3CR the only source of information to an information-starved, dumbed-down Australian community. Written, authorised and spoken by Neil Mitchell. And, uh, well, you know, how can you follow Neil Mitchell, really? I mean, <laughs> pretty, Good old Rod Quantock, honestly. <laughs> pretty amazing, but uh, we're going to do that because uh, joining us in the studio right now is Dr. Timothy Jones, and uh, he's a historian. I think people who listen regularly will know Tim, but a uh, historian at La Trobe University with expertise in sexuality, gender, and religion. So welcome, and great to have you here again. Tim. Thanks, Judith. Morning, everyone. Good morning. Yeah, and so one year ago today, November 7th, the postal vote on marriage equality closed, and I remember people were advised to get their vote in you know, about four or five days before uh, the <laughs> 7th, uh, uh, yeah, 7th, and the results were announced about a week later on November 15th in favour of marriage equality, 38.4 against 61.6 in favour. But that's not the whole story, and uh, Tim's uh, currently writing about these events. So we've heard from Rodney Croom as an activist around how he was thinking, feeling, what he was doing. Really eager to hear what you have to say. Yeah, thanks, Judith. Um, yeah, the conversation asked me to write a piece reflecting on the importance of the Postal Survey. Um, and I think the Postal Survey is one of the most important cultural uh, happenings uh, that we've had in Australia for quite some time. I think it's more important than marriage equality. Um, so, uh, what, what uh, sorry, what do you mean? I'm, I'm just a bit confused. More important than marriage yeah, well, equality. How, so the postal vote itself. Yeah, the postal vote itself. That's that's yeah. what I'm. That's what Does I've been matter? thinking. Yeah. Um, so obviously it's nice that queer people can get married now, and nobody's really complaining about that. Um, but uh, and and what did I looked up the figures? I think two and a half thousand couples got married in the first six months. Yeah, that's amazing. I know it's yeah. like a hundred gay weddings a week. Oh, wonderful! Uh, <laughs> 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 is that? So it was pretty exciting. Lots of lots of queer people remain a bit ambivalent about this, though. Um, I don't know if anybody noticed, but um, Justice Michael Kirby, the former High Court judge, announced that he and his partner had decided to marry. And I thought the way that he announced that really expressed the ambivalences and the difficulties that queer people have in responding to the passage of marriage equality. Um, I'll just um, I'll just read out what he said. Uh, he said, we've been together now for 49 years and eight months. Wow. And so it just seemed a little artificial. It seemed a bit late for the confetti. (laughs) 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 And it seemed a bit, to us, it seemed a little bit patriarchal. Um, But we've ultimately decided we are going to get married. So there's all these different kinds of feelings. Everyone kind of expects gay people just to be, like, compulsorily happy about it. (laughs) Um, But actually, there's, there's lots of other things going on. For many people, the survey was really traumatic. Uh, it was really hurtful to have the dignity of your life and your relationships and your families up for question. Um, oh, are you a real human? Do you deserve the full human rights that humans have? Which is, which is what the what marriage was a proxy for 
uh, even if you didn't really believe in marriage, the fact that your dignity as a human was being debated by the nation and was put, put to a popular vote. Human rights aren't put to popular votes. That's not how human rights work. Um, so that was pretty bruising for lots of people. And clearly the religious right was quite bruised by it as well. Uh, you know, they have had quite a bit of trouble adjusting to the change in the law. And I think this is where, why the survey uh, is more important than marriage equality, because it has, it made people think about values, about human rights, about the dignity of LGBT people. But it has also made people think about religion. And I think this is one of the huge uh, ironies about this, and anybody who's a theory nut might be able to see where I'm going with this. Um, but uh, this huge debate about sex and gay people has brought uh, religion into discourse. It's brought religion into public discussion in a way that I don't think we've had probably ever before in Australia's history. Uh, so with the Ruddock Review on Religious Freedom, which was supposed to be a conciliatory gesture towards conservatives, to mm. like, oh, we'll protect your freedoms, the review actually exposed and reminded the whole country the huge raft of exemptions, the huge privileges uh, that religious bodies have in Australia. So it's kind of backfired in one sense in that it's opened a public debate that perhaps the religious right didn't want to have. Exactly. So uh, canny religious uh, leaders have avoided a discussion about religious freedom because they are aware that the religious freedoms to discriminate that religious bodies have in Australia um, exceed community values. And that's what's so interesting um, about the postal survey is that it forced the nation to think about uh, what it believed about humanity and dignity, sexuality, but also religion. The religious right saying Christian bakers, Muslim printers, religious people should be able to have their freedoms protected, um, perhaps didn't realise that their their powers of discrimination um, would also be exposed. And when the survey showed that the majority of Australians think that LGBT people are fully human and don't need to be discriminated against, those discriminations are suddenly not popular. They're not seen as valid or legitimate in our our democracy. And we are talking about state legislation as well here, aren't we? Not just federal? Uh, Yes. So um, anybody who looked closely at the leaked uh, findings of the Ruddock Review would have noticed that uh, there's state and federal legislation applies, and in, so every Australian jurisdiction has slightly different uh, laws around wh- how and when and where religious people can discrim- religious organisations can discriminate. Um, uh, it was perhaps surprising and pleasing in one way to see that Queensland and Tasmania have the best protections yes. of LGBT people. Yeah, with Tasmania's coming in quite late. Uh, quite late, but also the strongest protections. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, so um, so I guess that's when I was reflecting on the marriage equality survey, obviously it was great that the you know, popular opinion came out in favour of recognising LGBT people. But then what's the, the big irony about it is that uh, whilst it's provoked a discussion about uh, sex and the, the dignity of LGBT people, it's also provoked a huge discussion and perhaps a historically much more significant and unique discussion about the place of religion in Australian society. Mm-hmm. Do you have any sense of where that conversation's going? 
Well, uh, it's really interesting seeing how, like, the Ruddock review has gone. Um, people were quite confused uh, because... Um, <laughs> I'm a little bit proud of this. Uh, when when the Reddit review was announced, um, uh, I was called up by ABC Drive or something to comment, and they were expecting me, having written, you know, published publicly in favour of marriage equality and all of this, um, to be saying this is ridiculous. Blah 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 blah. Uh, I was like, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I knew the state of Australian law, and and I knew that uh, the the composition of the Ruddock Review was respectable jurists. Had, they had very conservative members, uh, religious members, uh, you know, very respected lawyers, and the the only outcome of the Ruddock Review could be a limitation on the current religious freedoms to discriminate against LGBT, LGBT people. So I was kind of pleased by it. You know, I think I have a, a, a rough memory of a conversation with you at the time <laughs> expecting exactly the same thing as the, the <laughs> ABC, and, and I was surprised. That you, you said, oh, no, the panel, you know, there's some good people on the panel. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I think, so I, you know, I don't think many people were aware of the state of discrimination le- uh, legislation in Australia. Uh, so the fact that the Ruddock Review found that, uh, and then the fact that the government uh, didn't release it, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't know if you remember, tried to pass a Religious Freedom Act before releasing the report, because it knew that the report wasn't going to satisfy Port conservatives. Wasn't very shiny. <laughs> no, it wasn't what they wanted. Um, so yeah, so that's quite funny. Yeah, for sure. And uh, Tim, I think there's a, there's a book coming out. Is there a book coming out, or is this not something we can talk about yet? <laughs> you always want to talk about this book. You should never ask academics. It's like asking a, no, a no, PhD no, no, student. No, 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 no. The book. Um, the, the, oh, the other book. Oh, sorry. Other, no, no, like, no, I would never ask an academic such a question. I'm feeling paranoid about the lack of progress on on my book about this. <laughs> um, uh, but actually, yes, uh, my uh, dear friend uh, Quinn Eads uh, and Son Vivian have published. Uh, a beautiful uh, collection of writings uh, that were produced by queer people during the Marriage Equality Survey. It's called Going Postal. Um, it's going to be released on the anniversary of the announcement of the Postal Survey. Um, it's it's based around a series of... Uh, Queen always is, is not quite happy of me calling them poems, but I think of them as poems, reflective poems, um, that Quinn, pa- Quinn wrote during the survey called I Can't Stop Crying, talking about the... Um, I think it's eight poems, which are about 20,000 words, uh, which sort of document the experiences that Quinn had with his family and friends during the uh, during this exp- the postal survey, and it's interspersed with other writings, uh, including one piece by me, um, uh, documenting uh, that 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 really intense moment in history for Australian queer people. It's really be- I got my advance copy the other day, uh, and I opened it up, and I just started crying. It was, it was really beautiful, and reminded me of that time. Yeah, and going post, so the full title, Going Postal, More Than Yes and No, and that's just great. And one year on writings from the Marriage Equality Survey. Mm. And uh, you say it's coming out, well, in a week? About yeah, it's uh, officially launched in a week, yep. And uh, do you know where we might be able to get copies? Uh, you can pre-order online now. You can buy it from all good bookstores. Mm-hmm. All good bookstores. All good bookstores. <laughs> Glad for like the clarification. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's great. And is there anything else that you wanted to say just about that anniversary? Anything more? Well, I, the, the, 
so the other sort of point about this which uh, makes me think that this this moment in time is useful, I'm always naively optimistic and I think there are huge opportunities for positive change when, you know, history doesn't always play out that way. Um, but one of, one of the things that it strikes me in this renegotiation of the place of religion in um, Australian society is that, is it, does it strike anybody else that it's quite bizarre that religious free the, the one test case for religious freedom is the ability to be homophobic and discrim- discriminate against LGBT people. Mm. Um, like it's quite an odd like single case of yeah. re- the religious freedom or a, a micro of religious it's all freedom. Obsessive. Yeah, it's t- why yeah. Are, why are religious people obsessed with sex? Mm. Um, well, well, that's that's the well, book that we're not allowed to talk about. Because they want to get in the newspapers. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think they, they genuinely are at the moment, and I think that's a historical accident because if you go back to None of the founding statements of religion say anything about sex. And I think this might be a really good opportunity for religious people and religious organisations to rethink how they, th- their posture in society. Maybe they don't need to be obsessed with sex. Maybe they can go back to a time what? before they were obsessed with sex, which um, is only about 50 years. Yeah. Well, um, Tim, I think that's close to a, a good point to wrap <laughs> up on. <laughs> we'll encourage those organisations to think more deeply. Exactly. Um, and we're going to come back with an interview, but we'll just have a quick song in the meantime. And if you're wondering exactly what that was, that was uh, Canadian Brass with the Flight of the Bumblebee. Uh, usually, not usually a brass piece, but that was pretty amazing. So thanks for listening. To that. You are listening to 3CR Community Radio, and on the line right now we have Marceline Demenzi, who is a... Uh, migrant, childhood resident of public housing, and um, for the interview today, a member of the Public Housing Defence Network. Hello, Marceline, you there? Yes, I am, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on 3CR. Now, we have you on the show to talk about the rally that you have coming up on Friday the 9th of November. That's this coming Friday. Um, now, our listeners have heard quite a bit about the, um, the Andrews government's sell-off of public housing um, can you tell us why we're holding a rally this this um, this Friday? Well, we're holding the rally because the election is coming up, and we really believe it is an election issue, and people have to become conscious of it. And we've had very little coverage of this issue in the mainstream media. There's very little in the newspapers about what's been going on. This public housing so-called renewal program, and I quote, renewal program, has been on the cards for a while now. It's on the department website. But there's no, um, not many articles actually talking about what this actually involves, what it entails. And the essence of it is selling off land that does have public housing on it to private developers. And so we're having a rally to bring it to public attention because in the end only votes count. Um, nothing else matters to governments like the Andrews government. And we are hoping to get all the different groups together. There are many different groups uh, who care about this issue to come together and to actually make our voice heard. Mm. You're also calling for the gov- state government to re-establish a public housing authority. Um, can you tell us a bit more about that? Yes. Um, there used to be, uh, you know, the housing commission, it used to be called, one authority to look after all the public housing, to take responsibility for it financially, administratively, or in all ways. Um, and we believe that's the only way because when you, when you um, sell off... Um, you know, um, when you tender off and sell off uh, maintenance work or anything like that, things are not done. 
Um, and we don't believe that any other organization should be should take responsibility for housing people, for putting people on a waiting list, for allocating them housing, for making sure they meet some criteria. We, sh- we believe it should all be centralized. And that's the only way to have transparency across the whole state of Victoria. And therefore, people who are on the waiting list know exactly where they stand. Um, and we've got 83,000 uh, people on the waiting list. So we believe the Public Housing Authority, if there is one, would be able to deal with it in, in a fair and equitable fashion and people know their rights uh, and things don't change between one organisation running it or another. Uh, it'll be a fair system for all. A consistent and fair system. Um, now yeah. we're going to be hearing from a number of speakers on Friday. Um, there's going to be Fiona Ross from the Tenant and Friends of Public Housing, Will, from, um, who is a tenant from Walker Street Public Housing Estate in Northcote, and Claire Hansen, who's also a tenant. We're also hearing from a couple of um, um, uh, candidates and political um, uh, leaders. So Dr. Samantha Ratnam, from the, the leader of the Victorian Greens, and Stephen Jolly, who's candidate for the Victorian Socialists, who are running for the first time this, um, this state election. Um, can you... Um, tell us who's doing well on the issue of public housing, if not the Labor government, who is? Well, both these groups, both these political parties actually um, have it on their, as their platform as support for public housing. Um, the Greens have already spoken um, you know, publicly in Parliament um, in favour of public housing. That's their position. And Dr Ratnam has written articles that have been published in the newspaper um, being a politician, she gets coverage when she, uh, you know, she makes statements. She supports this uh, in many ways, and so has um, Adam Bant. They've come to different small little rallies we've held and meetings we've held. For example, the Moreland Council um, uh, allowed us to have a rally. In fact, their mayor spoke. They supported it um, at the Moreland meeting uh, at Town Hall, at the Brunswick Town Hall, in order to support the local residents, the Grand Place residents. And Dr. Ratnam spoke there. So we, we have support from uh, politicians. It's not all politicians like Labour and I'm, and for sure Liberal who just see, you know, land, inner city land and believe that, um, private, private developers should gain from it and not people who are vulnerable and people who need support from the system. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. Um, just to remind folks listening at home, the rally is going to be this Friday at, at 6 p.m. in front of the State Library this Friday. I've been speaking to Marceline Demenzi, who is a member of the Public Housing Defence Network. Marceline, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Thank you. From every corner of the land, womankind arise! Women on the Line, a current affairs program devoted to women's voices, covering a diversity of women's interests and hearing women's perspectives on current affairs. Erosion of human rights leads directly and inevitably to erosion of human security. We do not accept the denial of our rights because the right to have a say over our country is our life. Women on the Line. Tune in on Mondays at 8.30am and Wednesdays at 6am on 3CR Community Radio, 855am. And streaming live at 3cr.org.au. Hello and you're listening to...
3CR. Now, we've had a lot of discussion about the anniversary of the postal vote and the um, Ruddock Freedoms, uh, Religious Freedoms Review, and we're going to have a little bit more of that with Bridget from Pride and Protest. But first off, we have her on the line to let us know a little bit more about uh, what her organisation's about. So, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Very good, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Um, oh, well, I just said your group, uh, Pride and Protest. Could you give us a little idea um, what the group's all about? Sure. Uh, Pride in Protest is a collective of LGBT people and allies who would like to see Mardi Gras actually moving towards a more radical uh, stance on a lot of different issues. Um, We think that Mardi Gras has lost its way a little bit in terms of how corporate it's become, uh, and we really would think that it should return to sort of more of its roots of 1978, uh, in which it was actually a protest and a march as well as a celebration of LGBT identity. So I suppose touching on that um, and our discussion today about the Religious Freedoms Review, now I know you guys have got current protests going on. Could you give us a bit of an idea about what you're doing? Yeah, so in Sydney there is a community against, uh, community action against homophobia rally coming up on the 15th of November uh, regarding the religious freedom exemption, uh, which is about private schools having the religious freedom to fire queer students, uh, queer teachers or the children of queer parents uh, on the whim of their principals and their staff. Uh, which is really just a blatant homophobic stance. And, you know, if you're going to be taking government money, uh, then you probably shouldn't be firing government employees or children just for the fact of their sexuality or their gender identity. No, definitely. And I was wondering, um, you did say uh, politics was kind of, a political message was very definitely at the centre of your organisation. Now, I believe uh, just a few weeks ago you put a motion up to ban the Liberal Party from entering into Mardi Gras. How's that going at the moment? Yeah, so at the AGM we put forward a lot of different motions. Um, some were covering Scott Morrison particularly or the Liberal Party as a group to march as a float. Mm-hmm. Um, so a Liberal Party registered float. Um, also the presence of police. Uh, marching as a float and that kind of thing. So most of our, well, all of our motions in the political realms failed to get up and, and there was a lot of derision and heckling from other members mm. of Mardi Gras. So we can kind of see that what we're really challenging here is not just the fundamental political beliefs that we have, but also the conservative side of Mardi Gras, how it has become a space for right-wing LGBT people to kind of take over and do with it what they will without any respect for, you know, the more radical roots around Mardi Gras. And that's why we thought it was important. But, yeah, unfortunately, our motions did not go up. And on top of that, the board members also said, look, any motions passed today are only recommendations to the board and the board does not actually have to act on them. So they've made it quite clear from the start as a board that they're not actually interested in doing any of these things. Um, In particular, you know, stuff like corporate reviews uh, of their sponsorship that Mardi Gras has relationships with, uh, they just were completely not interested in that because they said it would send Mardi Gras bankrupt. Um which just speaks to exactly what kind of event they're trying to run. It's not really about community. They're more interested in more glitter and lights uh, in order to get sponsorship from the biggest corporations in Australia. And I suppose this is um, just going back to your founding principles. Uh, could you kind of give us an idea of what Pride and Protest 
founding, you know, key issues are and kind of the, the power that Mardi Gras has the potential to hold? Yeah. So Pride in Protest is a left-wing group, and we have a really intersectional approach to queer issues. So we're looking at refugee rights, we're looking at climate change, we're looking at police overreach, uh, and we also have a really strong stance on conservative and right-wing politics in that we don't think it has a space in the LGBT community because most of the Liberal Party's policies and platforms and um, Scott Morrison, their leader, are openly against and conflict with the LGBT community and outright consistently across the board, whether that's from 2004, changing the Marriage Act to explicitly be, you know, heterosexual, mm-hmm. um, or whether that's to today, where an ex-Liberal Party member has conducted you know, a review, the Ruddock Review, Mm -hmm. uh, in order to give private schools these rights to discriminate against LGBT students and teachers. So from Mm -hmm. our perspective, being left-wing and being against, you know, all of these conservative and racist policies like detaining trans and bisexual and all kinds of different people on Manus and Nauru in torture camps, or whether that's, you know, looking at climate change as an intersectional issue in which people Mm -hmm. from developing countries who are bi and trans and queer will actually be at more of a risk uh, in climate catastrophe in, like, refugee as climate refugees and, as you know, in climate refugee camps and things like that. Like, they are more vulnerable to being attacked in bathrooms in large, huge groups during a climate catastrophe. So right. um, I, I suppose these issues are queer issues. Mm, yeah, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Um, I suppose mm-hmm. there's so many topics, but um, you guys are definitely known also for your floats uh, protesting the deten- offshore detention of refugees. Um, yeah. Will we be likely to see something early 2019 for that? Yeah, so for the last couple of years, uh, collective members of Pride in Protest have been... Um, involved in No Pride in Detention, which is a pro-refugee float. Uh, We're trying to bring attention to the fact that, you know, there is a statement of inclusivity that's being pushed as if Mardi Gras is the most inclusive space. But while we still have refugees in offshore detention camps and also onshore detention camps, uh, while they are discriminated against by these policies, they are physically incapable of participating in an event like Mardi Gras. Mm. And as a human rights issue, that's just completely, um, you know, out of whack with LGBT rights. And one of the reasons we think that Mardi Gras has a lot of power to make change is that London Pride actually reviewed their corporate sponsorship of Virgin Airlines. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so Virgin actually said that they were not going to deport any more refugees back to danger into countries that would persecute them either for their sexuality or for their uh, ethnic identity or any other reason. So Qantas, as a sponsor of Mardi Gras, you know, we hope to have that kind of influence, but we could get Qantas, mm. you know, to commit to stop deporting people back to danger, back to countries where they are unsafe, um, and just, you know, have a more human rights approach to all of our corporate sponsorships. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Bridget, for coming on. Um, if anyone is interested in following uh, Pride and Protest, where can we find you? We have a Facebook page uh, called Pride in Protest where we're you know, currently pushing a lot of different um, rallies that are upcoming. So as I said, there's that Community Action Against Homophobia rally on the 15th of November about the religious exemptions. We have some floats coming up. We are hoping to have 
some no pride in detention floats, also a no pride in police brutality float uh, that would be in con- um, conjunction with FIRE, so Fighting and Resistance Equal, which is an Indigenous um, activist group, uh, and also Scarlet Alliance, um, who is the sex worker union um, for Australia. So we're kind of looking to do a lot of more interesting things in the next sort of few months, so please keep in contact on our Facebook page. Wow. Well, fun- fantastic, and thank you so much for coming on this morning. No worries. Thanks. Bye. Bye. And there you go. It all comes back to the airlines. I'm really pleased with that full circle. <laughs> we're talking about yes, dodgy airlines. Yes, we were airlines. talking about dodgy airlines. At the top of the show, show. yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yes. So and, and you know what? I've just seen a, a note that um, the My Health Record, opt-out, like a, on a totally different topic. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah a totally yeah, different yeah. topic. My Health Record opt-out helpline uh, m- broke down because so many people are opting out. Mm. But it is uh, up and running again. I think people have a few more days to opt out if they want to opt out. So it sounds like people are opting out. Mm. Well, there you go. You've been listening to 3CR Community Radio. We were just speaking to Bridget from Pride in Protest, and earlier we heard from Marceline Demenzi, who's a member of the Public Housing Defence Network. They're holding a rally on Friday at 6pm outside the State Library. Mm. We earlier heard from Dr Tim Jones, who was speaking to us about um, when you're on from the um, the postal survey on same-sex marriage. Yeah, and the book, Going Postal, that's, that's coming right. out next week. Coming out next week in all book, good bookstores. And then uh, we also heard from Rodney Croom, veteran LGBTQ plus activist, um, who was speaking about the leaked Ruddock report on re- religious freedom and earlier in the show. We heard about the Arts Life program and their uh, big extravaganza coming up at Footscray Community Arts Centre, and that just sounds fabulous to get along to. So that's next weekend. And, uh, yeah, go and hear the Hackett's. Absolutely. Indeed. Goodbye from all of us. 3CR relies on the support of ethical organisations to keep our vital community of voices on air. And we'd like to thank our breakfast supporters, the new international bookshop, Nibs, at Trades Hall, and eco-friendly paper and printing outfit, Earth Greetings. You can check them out at nibs.org.au and earthgreetings.com.au. And if you'd like more information on how your organisation can become a 3CR supporter, contact the station on 03 9419 You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.